Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you as we gather from not just Michigan, but even multiple states uh, we have heard are represented for our weekly gathering here this morning at First Baptist Church of Zealand, Michigan. My name is Jeremy, and I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and we are just so thankful that you have joined us today. Uh, a couple of uh, quick announcements before we begin our study uh, this morning from the book of Exodus. Uh, the first announcement is this. We have absolutely loved having our midweek Bible study gathering each Wednesday from about 12 uh, p.m. to 12.40 p.m. We, we, we take up that time using Zoom. And so if you'd like to join us, we're actually going to be starting a new book this week. We're going to be studying the book of Ruth for the next uh, few weeks here. As one of our, um, one of our participants said, um, it's no homework and nice people. And so we uh, invite you to join us for that as we open the scriptures and we uh, spend some time learning more more about what God has for us. We had a great time studying the book of Jonah these past four weeks, and we look forward to the weeks to come. Um, the next thing is I talked to you last week about uh, bingo, and I hope some of you have been doing this. I know I, I haven't been the most um, consistent about posting anything, but I have taken up, for example, a new hobby. Much to my family's chagrin, I've taken up harmonica this week, and um, let's just say we're still starting uh, the phases of that. And so if you haven't done that, I encourage you to just check off some of these things. They're great ways just to kind of get new ideas of something to do and to share those with other people. And one of the things that I forgot to do last week was to take a selfie with you all because I'm not home watching this with my family. So everybody smile wherever you're at. And here we go. There we go. I'll post that later so you can see the rest of our crew here, our, our, our uh, few folks that we have gathered to help us um, this morning. Um, next is if you're giving, uh, you can find more information about that at our website, details uh, about how to do that during this uh, very interesting time that we are in. And I just want to also say thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord. Thank you so much for your generosity and helping us pursue our mission to know Christ and to make him known. Um, if you need to contact us at all this week, you can do so via email, church office, uh, phone number, or the pastor on call. It's a great way to get in touch with us quickly. I know several people have also contacted us on Facebook, which is another great way uh, to, to let us know about prayer, prayer needs or physical needs or, or whatever you have. Um, also, if you're gathering here live on Sunday morning at 10, um, there's people uh, from our community who are on our Facebook Live and who are also on the chat feature on our website. If you have a question about God or the spiritual life or you want to know more or you want prayer for something, uh, you can feel free to just engage with them right there. We'd love to have you say hi. We'd love to know how we can support you in your walk with the Lord. Um, this morning, we are going to be gathering in focusing on a new, um, a, a new passage for us. Last week, we looked at Exodus 5 and 6. We're jumping forward a couple of chapters. We're going to be looking at Exodus 14 this morning. Uh, before we do that, though, um, let's, let's pray together and let's invite and celebrate the Lord's presence with us where we are at. 
Our Father and our King, we thank you that we can gather from a whole host of different places, not just uh, here in Michigan, but Lord, even throughout the states and even throughout the world. And thank you, God, for meeting us here. Uh, we, we know that even by gathering virtually, um, God, you use this time um, to build us more as a disciple, uh, to encourage us and to point our eyes back upon you. And so, God, we thank you for this gift that you have given us, the gift of community. We, uh, we celebrate who you are and what you are doing. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. You'll find also on our website um, that there is a study guide that you can use after this. And there's also a bulletin that has uh, some scriptures and some prayer, some prayer updates on there. So I invite you to check that out. Uh, but as you do that uh, today, let's jump into our study this morning. Exodus 14 is a fantastic passage, one of perhaps the most dynamic passages in all of the scripture. And it's the story of Israel at the Red Sea. And it's at the Red Sea where God delivers his people, spoiler alert, uh, from the hand of Pharaoh. Um, one of the things, kids, if you're home, and which I would assume that you are, but if you have like color, colored pencils or markers or paper or something like that, either right now or sometime today, I encourage you, draw a picture of the Red Sea experience. And, and you know, you can put Pharaoh's chariots and his army in there. You can put Moses and you can put him raising his hands. You can put water. Use your creativity based upon the narrative that we're going to be talking about today. And if you would share those with me, I love to see them. I love to see all the photos I get from you guys during the week. And, and especially on Sunday when I get usually a whole barrage of texts of photos of you guys gathering. Um, but one of the things that this story always reminds me of is it reminds me of a certain time in my life. This was about 12, 13 years ago. It was on a resurrection Sunday and I ended up um, going through a bit of a difficult couple days. And I I ended up having a panic attack. I ended up hyperventilating and just having to learn some new strategies for how to cope with stress and, and all this kind of stuff. And one of the gifts that was given to me by our staff at that time was this book. It's the book called The Red Sea Rules. And if you haven't read it, it's a really easy book, 100 plus pages. It, last I checked, it was two bucks on Amazon Kindle store. Um, that's for the digital copy. It's like six bucks or seven bucks for the hard copy. It's worth your dollars. Um, it, it walks through um, strategies, biblical strategies um, that Robert Morgan pulled out of Exodus 14. So some of what I'm going to share with you today mirrors a little bit of that, but he goes a whole lot deeper into that. And so if you need a good study book during this time of uncertainty and unknown, I absolutely love the subtitle. It says, the same God who led you in will lead you out. Because we find ourselves in a time where we're like, God, what is going on? And in a different sense, I imagine Israel felt, felt that way as well. Lord, you've taken us out of Egypt, but what is going on here? You know, I, I thought we were going to a promised land. And instead, they find themselves backed up against a sea with Pharaoh's army coming toward them. Fantastic book of, of just uh, biblical wisdom and how to face uncertain times. Um, but the context of what is happening, just to get us into it, in chapter 13, uh, verses 17 and 18, is that God is engaging with Israel as a nation. He, he's forming them from a group of ragtag slaves into a community who is to serve God for his glory. They, they've gone from serving Pharaoh, and now they're to serve God <clears throat> as people, though they were not ready for war. In fact, God says, um, God says that if, if they experience war... Um, 
they, they will likely turn back and go back to Egypt. And so um, God takes them not by the quickest way to the land of Israel from Egypt. He takes them through the wilderness. And this journey uh, begins right in here. And so um, even though the text says they come out in battle formation, they were people who were ill-prepared for battle. And, and I love what the Moody Bible Commentary says about this. It says, it was not that they lacked the weapons, rather they did not have the heart. That is, they lacked the settled convictions and unwavering confidence in the Lord required to do battle. And the Lord knew that as they went into the promised land, they would have to do battle. And God wanted to use this time in the wilderness to prepare them. And that's what he is doing. He is, he is preparing them. And the, the way he's preparing them is not just by like more push-ups or more sword drills or something like that. He, he is building their confidence in who he is so that they can have an unwavering confidence and a settled conviction in him and in him alone. He's reminding them that he is sufficient for their every need. And so look with me, please, at your copy of the scripture, uh, Exodus chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 20. They set out from Sukkoth and they camped at Etam on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Chapter 14, verse 2. Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdol and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. And so the Israelites did this. And a couple of observations for us from this passage. First, God is with them. All right, he, he is with them, with, a, with them <clears throat> by being a pillar of fire by day, manifesting himself in this way, in a cloud, or sorry, a pillar of fire at night, in a cloud by day. So at night, he gives them heat, he gives them light so they can see, he gives them protection. <clears throat> and in a very hot climate of the world, he has um, given them a cloud of covering by day to shield them. Um, he is meeting their needs in this arid desert climate. <clears throat> Second, God is directing their route. He is the one who's saying, I want you to go here, and I want you to go here, and I want you to go here, and they are obediently following. If they were to go straight to the land, it would only take them a couple days, the land of Israel, that is, it would only take them a couple days, but he's taking them a different route, and they are following. So, so God knows very much where they are. Pharaoh sees Israel as being boxed in by the wilderness. From, from Pharaoh's eyes, that's what this looks like. And he pursues them because he changes his mind. Uh, verse 5 says, When the king of Egypt was told that the, Pharaoh, that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people. And they said, What have we done? Why have we released Israel? But as Pharaoh comes up upon them, he sees they're, they're boxed in. They're, they're, their backs are against this, this water. What, what is going on? Let's go get them. Let's, let's reclaim the servants who once did a lot of work for us. And there's one more thing I want you to see just in these initial verses. Um, verse 4 says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive 
glory. Glory is a word that's repeated three times in this passage uh, that we're going to be looking at. What is of paramount importance is God's glory in the midst of this. And in fact, even an oncoming army is going to be something that declares the glory of God in their midst. This is part of God teaching them what it means to depend upon him for everything. And so Pharaoh takes 600 of the best chariots and the rest of the chariots with officers and each one to pursue Israel. Now, one of the things you need to know about chariots is chariots were kind of the, the, the tank of the day. They, they were the thing, maybe not the tank, but they, they were the formidable force that you did not want to go up against. Oftentimes, chariots were pulled, obviously by horses, but, but they would have at least two people in them, one person to drive, one person to fight. Sometimes they would have an officer in them as well. And so you have just this, this description in verses five and following of, uh, of Pharaoh um, gathering together every power of Egypt. He's not going to the JV team here. He is going to the varsity. He is pulling out all stops because he wants to make sure that he is successful in this endeavor to gather all of Israel back and to enslave them again for his purposes. Pharaoh wants to leave nothing to chance. He is using one of the great military superpowers of the day to bring Israel back to serve him. And so you can kind of imagine, and this photo here is from the 1956 blockbuster hit, The Ten Commandments. Some of you may recall watching this maybe as a kid or something like that. I, I remember, you know, seeing the, uh, the, the all bronzed face of Moses after he's seen, you know, the Lord in, in, in the book of Exodus, you know, the shining face and stuff. This is one of the scenes that happens as, as Pharaoh's army is coming down this way. And you've got the children of Israel retreating to where the water is at. And so we read, uh, look with me, please, chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and they cried out to the Lord for help. Okay, don't miss that. They, they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord for help. We're, we're, we're talking um, these next several weeks about prayer. One of the facets of prayer is that we go to God. And here we have, uh, even different than what we looked at last week, where they go to Moses and they say, Moses, why did you do this? And they were just crushed because of their, their slavery and because of the harsher conditions that Pharaoh had placed upon them. They, they at, together, as a collective community, they're terrified and they cry out to God. They cry out to God. In the midst of their struggle, they cry out to God. You might say that they pray to God for help. And they said to Moses, verse 11, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we might serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, it's interesting here because in, in point of fact, one of the things that they said in Egypt is, we're in this harsh slavery. God, will you deliver us? And they cried out to God and God answered by bringing Moses. You have all these plagues and everything. God takes his people out with a, with, with a strong arm. But from the distress that they're in, it's really easy to say, man, it would have been better just to stay in Egypt. It would have been better to die in Egypt because at least there's graves there than out here in this wilderness. 
They cry out to God. They cry out to God. Imagine you have a military or a virus coming at you. How do you feel when you're backed up against a corner and you have no idea where to turn? Verse 10 says this. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. They, they, they looked up and they saw. They, their eyes for a moment there became focused not upon the Lord's hand of salvation and deliverance, but rather they saw Egypt coming with all of its might and all of its power. And they cried out. They cried out to the Lord. Last week, we talked about this important idea of getting our eyes on God. And this is true of all moments in our life, particularly when something is coming after you. Particularly when you have no idea where to turn, you have no idea what to do. What do you do? Well, sometimes we look up and we see that which is coming. But what God tells us to do is to take our eyes off the situation and to refocus them back upon him. Israel sees only one result. They see death at the hands of Pharaoh. They long for slavery they once cried out for deliverance from because they would prefer slavery to death. But remember, God has promised them a land and that Pharaoh's actions will result in God's glory. God won't be glorified by Israel going down. He'll be glorified by the defeat of Israel, his people's foes. These people are wholly dependent upon God. They have nowhere else to turn. What will God do? In verses 13 and 14, um, read, that, read those with me, please. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. And I love the, um, the, the contrast here. They looked up and they saw, but Moses said, stand firm and see. See what? See the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you, for the Egyptians that you see, you will never see again. I love that play on words and the importance of where our eyes are at and the promises of God in our midst. Difficult times can cause us to look for deliverance from a multitude of places. We do this in our lives all the time. We, we, we look to uh, physicians, we look to paychecks, we look to jobs, we look to all sorts of places for deliverance. Even in our spiritual lives, we do this. We might look to um, church attendance, or we might look to good works, or we might look to obedience to social issues, and we say, those things are the things that are going to save us. But those things aren't what save those things aren't what save. In, in, in uh, John chapter 12, um, the triumphal entry has happened, and Jesus predicts his crucifixion, which was, by the way, a very visible way to die. It, it, it was as much of a political tool to say, don't mess with Rome, as it was a way to kill someone. And in John chapter 12, if you want to, you can flip with me there for just a moment. In John chapter 12, um, verses 27 and following... And Jesus says this, he says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. Jesus is concerned with the glory of God, even in the midst of going to the cross. And then a voice from heaven 
came. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said the angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. See, God's deliverance didn't just happen in Exodus. The, the final and the ultimate form of God's deliverance happened thousands of years later when Jesus, for the glory of the Father, he endured the cross and his hands were lifted up and all eyes were drawn to him. For, for, for all of eternity, we will look upon the one whom was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And so to come to faith in Jesus, it's, it's not about how do I save myself? It's not about how do I find provision for myself in the midst of this. True hope and true joy is found in seeking God's glory. And Jesus does that by saying, I will be lifted up. And as Moses and the Israelites saw the Lord's salvation from Pharaoh, Jesus' death draws people to the work of salvation that only God can accomplish. See, in the, midst, in the midst of what seem to be hopeless situations, followers of Jesus have a hope that extends beyond the here and now. It's present in the here and now, but it's not based upon the here and now. It's actually based upon something that happened 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. And, and it finds its fulfillment in one day always being with the Lord. And so we have great hope. And so Israel finds themselves in this moment of, are we, are, are we going to see Egypt? or Are we going to see God's provision? And, um, and we have in verse 15, where the Lord says to Moses, hey, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. Break camp. Um, here's a, a photo also from the 1956 blockbuster of Moses. We'll let you look at this while we read this passage. Um, Exodus 14, verses 15 and following. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will receive glory, we find that idea of glory again, by means of Pharaoh, all his army, and his chariots and horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So Pharaoh, or God responds to Moses. He says, break camp. Now, why would you break camp? Why, 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 why would you break camp? You got nowhere to go. You, you're backed up against water. You've got Pharaoh's army coming at you another way. There is no escape. Even Pharaoh says, hey, they're boxed in. Why would you break camp? What would be the point of that? Are, are you going to make a run for, for this against the world's, one of the world's superpower armies? No, he, he tells them break camp because they're going somewhere. Where are they going? They have no idea. They're just told to break camp. They thought that they were staying here, but in this moment, they thought, they thought they might even die here, but instead of, of accepting their fate or whatever, God invites them to action. They're not going to rescue themselves, but this is the next step in what it means to trust God. One of the things we find in this chapter is this 
discussion that, that underlies uh, the, the narrative of what about God's providence and what about human responsibility? What about Pharaoh's hardness of heart and, and all that stuff? And I, I don't want to go down that whole rabbit hole for today. That's another teaching in and of itself. But one of the balances I want us to see is that in this moment, God alone can bring rescue, but he invites his people to action. He invites his people to action. He says, break camp. Why would we break camp? That doesn't make any sense. You're right, it doesn't. But God tells you to do it, so you do it. Joyfully and obediently. And, and, and they do this. And this is, this is an example of their constant conversation with God. Sometimes in our, in our prayer lives with God, God says, hey, I want you to do this. He might reveal it through his word. He might reveal it as a prompting from his spirit. But, but, but we sense God wants me to do this. And we say, okay, in, in keeping within the teaching of the scripture, I'm going to do that. It doesn't make a lick of sense right now, but I'm going to be faithful. Sometimes the most obedient thing we can do is just take the next step. And prayer is a way that we seek God's will and instruction for our lives. When we don't know what else to do, we do the next right thing. We may not have the, the battle game planned all out, but we rest in God's provision for today. Israel didn't know what was going to happen after they broke camp. He just said, hey, why are you crying out? Break camp. It's time to move. Sometimes faithfulness means living one step at a time. One step at a time. As someone who wants to think multiple steps in advance, I want to know what the next thing is. I want to know how this is going to affect us two weeks down the road and four weeks down the road and six weeks and eight weeks and 12 weeks and four months and two years. Sometimes we're not given that. Sometimes all we can do is be faithful and obedient in this moment. And that honors the Lord. That brings God glory in the midst of a situation we cannot control. God repeats his statement, I will receive glory. And the next verses, 19 and following, and they describe how God protects Israel. It says the angel of God, who, who in chapter 13, verse 21, we find out is the Lord who has gone before them with the pillar of fire in the cloud. Uh, he becomes a pillar of fire uh, or a pillar between Pharaoh's arm and Israel. Um, Moses stretches out his hand over the sea and there's this powerful east wind that turns the sea into dry ground. And uh, Exodus 15, which is God willing, what we're going to look at next week, it, d it describes as one point that, that the Lord blew with his nostril <laughs> and this, um, this powerful east wind separated these waters and created dry ground. Just to see like a glimpse of the power of God, just the breath from his nostril can do mighty things. The next verse is 23 through 28. We, we see this fantastic description of the complete and total plunder of the Egyptian army at the hand of God. Those who sought um, harm for God's people are those who experience a complete wiping out and total plunder. In uh, verses 29 through 31, please read with me here. It says, But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians, notice this, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. I, I told you earlier, one of the reasons that God takes his people 
on this journey is because he needs to build in them a certain kind of confidence in his care. And, and that, that's just not seeing his hand move. That, that's having this relationship. Because the more they engage with God, the more they have the opportunity to learn to trust God. It's, it's like that with many of our relationships. Uh, the, the more we build a relationship with a spouse or with a, with a, um, with a kid, with a friend at work, um, we have the ability to learn how to trust their heart more fully. And that's one of the things that God does through this time. So Israel is faced up against this. And contrary to what happened to the Egyptians, Israel walks through on dry ground. The Lord saved them. Israel saw the great power of God. They feared the Lord. And the idea of fear there is the idea of awe. They were in awe of God. Um, they believed in him. They trusted in him and in his servant Moses. See, it's, it's one thing to see. The text goes to great lengths to show that seeing leads to fearing and resulting in belief. I, I love this definition of, of faith. Um, faith is not a religious term or idea. For the Hebrews, faith is, quote, it refers to trust and loyalty that finds expression in obedience and commitment. One of the things we see in Israel is God said, hey, I want you to break camp. I want you to go. That was an act of faith that Israel um, lived out. They said, okay, God, because you said we will do this. We will be obedient. We will follow, even though, Lord, we have no idea what you are about to do. It doesn't make sense why we're in the predicament we're in, but God, we will follow. Um, there, there's one more thing I want you to just notice here that, that I thought was really cool as I found in my study. And that's this. Um, it, it focuses on this great power. Um, the word great power here comes from a word in Hebrew that means hand. And we find this word seven times in this whole chapter. Um, we find it in verses, um, beginning in verse, uh, I believe it's uh, verse 8. I believe it's verse 8. Um, and you have this contrast of hand, uh, the hand of Pharaoh, the hand of, of, of Israel. But you come down to this, you know, verse 27 says, you, you, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And you come down to verse 30, the Lord saved Israel from the power or from the hand of the Egyptians. But then it's contrasted here. When Israel saw the great hand or the great power that the Lord used, it resulted in belief and in trust and in fear, in the biblical sense of fear. And so there's this, there's, there's this wordplay on the word hand going on throughout this, this uh, narrative. There's a, there's a lot of symbols of strength, and there's a lot of um, sources of strength we go to. We might go to business. We might go to all these things, like I've said. But the only one who can bring full deliverance is the hand or the great power of the Lord. So you might say, all right, let's tie this together. How does this impact our prayer lives? What does this have to do with prayer? Well, a couple of truths for us. Number one, remember God is with you. God is with you. I don't know your circumstance today. I, I know it's different for every single person. The challenges we face are not all the same. But the God who is with us is the same. In fact, he's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Know this, wherever you find yourself this morning, God is with you. Second, know who your God is. Know who your God is. When we pray as part of the disciples' prayer, our Father in heaven, we, we, we approach a God who cares about our plight and who works on our behalf 
according to his will. In fact, part of the disciples' prayers are, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or may your name be sanctified. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Central to that prayer is this idea that we should desire God's kingdom and God's will on this earth because he is our father and we can trust him. We approach a God who cares about our plight and who works on behalf according to his will. Sometimes we pray for God to remove us from situations beyond our control. (laughs) Sometimes we don't know how out of control we really are. But oftentimes, God uses situations where we we don't know whether to look left or right. We we don't know what's going on. We have no idea how we even got here. And I'm specifically talking about situations where where we haven't engaged in any known sin. We haven't done something that has taken us down this path of, um, of waywardness from God. But, but situations like, like a virus that we really have very little control over, at least most of us have very little control over. What do we do? Well, we, we sometimes pray and we should pray, God, w- would you deliver us from this? But we trust that God's will is perfect and good for us. To, to put it in the phrase of, of the Red Sea rules, the same God who led you there will lead you out. It will be in his timing. It will be in his way but he will meet you there and he will be sufficient for you and I, regardless of what we face. Um, I was reading a missionary update this, this week, and I love receiving missionary updates from the people whom we have the privilege of partnering with. And um, we, we got a, a, a note from Billy Churnland, um, who works with um, Great Commission Alaska, I believe is the name of the, the place. He, he serves as a pilot in Alaska. And, and I love this quote, and I wanted to share this with you. He says this, he says, anxiety is projecting toward the future. Regret is dwelling on the past. Peace is living in the moment you are in and surrendering the rest to the cross. Peace is is living in the moment you are in. So many times, I know at least for myself, I want to get out of the moment that I'm in. But God has me there for a specific reason. He wants me to learn more about who he is, about his character, about what it means to trust him. And he may even give me opportunities, opportunities in the midst of hardship to bring glory to his name and to share his word and to encourage others. Peace is living in the moment you are in and surrendering the rest to the cross. Let me ask you this. Are you living in the moment that you are in? I know in a temporal sense you are, but what about in a spiritual sense? Are are, are you finding yourself wishing for another day and another time? And God, I just can't wait until and until and until. Or have we said, God, you have us here. God, teach us what it means to trust you in the midst of the storm and surrender all of this to the work of Christ. When we do that, we find peace. Thank you, Billy, for that great, great quote. God's will often places us in difficult situations that are beyond our control. Our constant prayer must be for his will to be done. In Exodus 14, God brings glory to himself by protecting and delivering his people from Pharaoh. It's much like in Romans 8, where we are reminded, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
This is a great prayer for moments of struggle. And so with that said, I I want to uh, pray with you. And then we're going to move into a time of singing for a couple minutes. Let's pray together. Our Father and our King, I'm thankful that we can trust you today. I'm thankful that in the midst of great struggle, God, if you are for us, who can be against us? God, that you meet us with perfect sufficiency this day. Lord, help us to live in this moment. Help us not to um, look towards the future needlessly and forget how you long to be our God here and now. We pray that over our families. We pray that over our community. We pray that over our governmental leaders, both state and federal, Lord, that they would come to a knowledge of Jesus and that they would follow you and that they would be people who are obedient to your word and that they would be people who seek to follow you doing the next right thing on the behalf of the people whom they serve. God, thank you so much for loving us Thank you for your presence here today. We bless you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.